Welcome to Gut Feelings, a Rome Foundation Drossman Care podcast series. I'm your host, Johanna Ruddy. On this weekly series, Dr. Drossman and I are frequently joined by guests as we discuss disorders of gut-brain interaction, their diagnosis and treatment, and of course, patient-provider communication skills, trainings, and tips that are helpful for patients and doctors alike. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another question and answer session with Dr. Drossman and myself. Today, we are switching gears and switching parts of the anatomy. We've talked a lot about bowel disorders, a lot about anorectal, and now we're going to esophageal. And we have one of the experts in this area joining us today, Dr. Ronnie Fass. So Dr. Drossman and Dr. Fass, hello to both of you. How are you? Hi there. And welcome, Ronnie. Hi, everybody. I'm having a great time so far. <laughs> and we just started. I know Ronnie Fast uh, must be 20 years. Um, and he has become an icon in the fields of esophageal disorders. Uh, he is really responsible for a lot of what we understand now. You know, what we used to call functional GI, functional esophageal disorders, now disorders of gut-brain interaction. Uh, Ronnie um, is, is currently the director, uh, the professor of medicine at Case Western uh, Reserve University. He's the medical director of the Digestive Health Center and chairman of the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology. He's also the director of the esophageal and swallowing program at Met Metro Health Medical Center. And through the Rome Foundation, he was chair and co-chair over Rome three and uh, four uh, of the esophageal disorders. He's now on Rome 5. And uh, I think one of the most notable things is his bringing in our ability to discern or differentiate heartburn in ways that relate to physiology, uh, really um, sensitivity of, of, the gut, of the esophagus, and that impl implicates treatment. So maybe to start this, I just want to point out to the audience that we now have heartburn as a symptom, but that could be due to GERD, NERD, reflux hypersensitivity, or functional heartburn. So clear that up for us. Tell us about all of that and what it all means. It's true. So uh, absolutely. So when we have a patient that presents with heartburn, uh, it's very difficult for us to know what exactly they have as the underlying mechanism of their symptoms. Like you mentioned, it could be gastroesophageal reflux disease in the form of erosive esophagitis or non-erosive reflux disease, or it could be a functional esophageal disorders in the form of functional heartburn or reflux hypersensitivity. And it's very important to emphasize that one cannot discern those disorders just based on clinical presentation. That means one cannot determine if the patient has a functional esophageal disorder or gastroesophageal reflux disease based, for example, on the severity, frequency, or duration of symptoms. So the question is, uh, how do we differentiate those symptoms, uh, those disorders, and uh, uh, what is the approach to them? So. From that point of view, if you have patients that have heartburn, uh, obviously uh, you have to test them in order to determine what they, they have. 
something now we call phenotyping. That's something that has evolved in the last, I'd say, decade. Uh, it is more the understanding uh, that it's better to phenotype the patient up front and know exactly what they have instead of treating them empirically. Now, it's not done, uh, it's still not done uh, uh, by community-based physicians. Their uh, empirical treatment is the most common approach. And I, I will touch on that too. What do you get from empirical therapy? And if you start there, where you need to go in order to identify your patients. If you have the capability of testing those patients up front, probably that's the way to do it in order to separate among these uh, different disorders. So upper endoscopy will help you immediately to separate the erosive esophagitis or Barrett's esophagus patients. But then you still have those with normal endoscopy and heartburn, and you're still now looking at non-erosive reflux disease, reflux hypersensitivity, uh, or uh, functional heartburn. So you still have that issue. And we do know that about half of the patients with heartburn and normal endoscopy have non-erosive reflux disease. About 30% of them have functional heartburn, and about 20% of them have reflux hypersensitivity. I just interrupted that point and asked you for the audience, because a lot of people are not medical. Define what functional heartburn is, what reflux hypersensitivity is, and what GERD is, or even NERD. Just what, what, how are they different? So the difference is primarily uh, what is the cause of this uh, type of uh, symptoms in these disorders. So in patients uh, with gastroesophageal reflux disease or non-erosive reflux disease, uh, these are patients that have heartburn, classic symptom of heartburn, but it is caused by abnormal amount of acid exposure that these patients experience. Uh, and in patients that have inflammation in the esophagus in the form of erosive esophagitis, uh, so it's the, the presence also of inflammation in the esophagus. The non-erosive reflux disease patients are patients that we don't see clear inflammation in their esophagus, but still we know that they have abnormal amount of acid exposure. And so these are the non-erosive reflux disease patients. Patients with functional heartburn, again, these are patients that have uh, heartburn, classic heartburn, but the testing that we're doing, all of it show that there is no abnormal acid exposure. So we don't see inflammation that is related to gastroesophageal reflux disease in the esophagus. We don't identify abnormal amount of acid in the esophagus. And we don't see correlation between their symptoms and events of reflux into the esophagus. So these are the functional heartburn patients. And then we have the reflux hypersensitivity patients. These are also a type of a functional esophageal disorder patient. But these patients, uh, they have, again, no evidence of esophageal inflammation, no evidence of abnormal amount of acid exposure in the esophagus, but they appear to be sensitive to what we call physiological or small amount of acid in the esophagus, leading to typical heartburn symptoms. So these are the different types of patients with different uh, mechanisms that lead to symptoms. So 
that that has implications for treatment, doesn't it? That's correct. And so the implications are, if you have patients that have gastroesophageal reflux disease or non-erosive reflux disease, these patients will likely respond to interventions that affect the reflux part of the problem. So it affects uh, the uh, reflux that they experience. And it, this type of intervention could be medical, surgical, or endoscopic. And, uh, and they respond to all of those. Uh, and they respond to all of those. Non-erosive reflux disease patients appear to be less responsive to medical treatment as compared to patients that have inflammation in the esophagus. But if we overall look at these two patient populations, the, those with inflammation, the GERD with inflammation in the esophagus, and the GERD with non-erosive reflux disease, overall, they do respond to anti-reflux interventions. Now let's talk about the two functional esophageal disorders. The functional heartburn patients, uh, they will not respond to any anti-reflux intervention. So they will not respond to any treatment uh, that addresses the reflux uh, part. They do respond to medication that affect the sensitivity of their esophagus. And we have a variety of these medications. We call them neuromodulators, that's their name. And they include a variety of uh, classes of medications like uh, tricyclic antidepressants, uh, like uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, uh, as well as others. Uh, the reflux hypersensitivity patients, very interestingly, because they still demonstrate some sensitivity to acid, uh, a subset of this patient appeared to respond to some level of anti-reflux medication. Um, not all of them, but some of them do appear to respond. And we think it's because the reflux part has a role in their symptoms. And even though it is small amount, uh, but still, the effect of the anti-reflux intervention may improve their symptoms. But it appears also that most of them will likely need, again, the same group of medication we call neuromodulators to control their symptoms. Uh, and uh, uh, what we find out at the end of the day is that most of these patients will eventually end up on this type of treatment. So, so the, um, the reflux hypersensitivity is like a hybrid because they, they don't have the heartburn all the time, but it correlates with when there's acid coming up, even though it's a normal amount of, of, of acid. People need to know that it's normal to have acid come up. It's a matter of how much, and they're sensitive to that amount. That's correct. So, uh, and thank you for clarifying that. So it's important to clarify that normal or healthy people do have a certain level of reflux or a certain level of acid exposure in the esophagus. 
Uh, and the difference between those that have non-erosive reflux disease and reflux hypersensitivity is that those with non-erosive reflux disease have abnormal amount of this acid exposure, where the reflux hypersensitivity, they have the level of acid exposure of healthy people. It's just that they are sensitive to that amount of acid exposure. Yeah, so the um, acid blockers, the PPIs, all of that, even um, surgery, is blocking the amount of acid that comes up, but the neuromodulators are blocking the sensitivity or reducing the sensitivity. So, so, so where does surgery fit in if we have all these great treatments? Excellent question. So surgery has a role in patients with gastroesophageal reflux disease if they have inflammation in their esophagus or what we call erosive esophagitis, or in patients with non-erosive reflux disease, patients that have uh, normal esophagus, but they still have abnormal amount of acid reflux. Surgery has no role whatsoever in patients with functional heartburn. The question is about the reflux hypersensitivity patients. And surprisingly, there are some studies looking at surgery in this patient population and these studies, some of them do claim that surgery might be helpful in this patient population. In fact, some of them even compared the outcome of these studies to patients with non-erosive reflux disease and found out no difference. My take on it is because I know the, the, that these are, at the end of the day, uh, patients with functional esophageal disorder where sensitivity plays a major role in the symptom generation that I would be very, very careful in submitting these type of patients to anti-reflux surgery. I would be, I would say that I would be, uh, uh, I would carefully select those candidates from the reflux hypersensitivity group for surgery. Can you explain what the surgery is? Uh, maybe people don't, may not know that. Surgery for reflux, there are, uh, different types of them. The typical one, what we call the Nissan fund application, their old uh, type of fund application is taking the upper part of the stomach and wrapping it around the lower part of the esophagus. And also, if you have, uh, if the patient has hernia, it's also repairing, repairing the hernia as part of this surgery. Cranial hernia. Yell hernia. Okay, so you mentioned earlier that in primary care, people just empirically treat. Is there any problem with that? Is there a time where you may need to say, go see a specialist, a gastroenterologist? What, what's the sequence of treatment? So I, I always uh, say that uh, uh, probably uh, the easiest approach Maybe the cheapest approach is to just treat the patient empirically uh, or do what I call the PPI test or the, uh, the you just treat patients and see how they respond. Um, there's no question that if a patient shows up with heartburn, but they also have other symptoms like they have swallowing problems, enduring swallowing, weight loss, loss of appetite, or any evidence of bleed from the upper GI tract, 
they should be immediately referred to a gastroenterologist for further evaluation. And most likely these patients should also get an endoscopy uh, in a timely fashion. Uh, if patient doesn't have any of it and they show up with simple heartburn, that's the only symptom they have, I don't think it's unreasonable to treat them empirically or treat them and just see how they respond. As I mentioned, at the end of the day, most of the patients that present to us, probably between 60 to 70% that present just with heartburn walking through the door, they do have gastroesophageal reflux disease. About a third of them are gonna be functional esophageal disorders. So it, it, I think it's reasonable to, uh, to treat them and, uh, and see what happened. And then if they don't respond, initiate the workup. So when I was in training um, several hundred years ago, uh, we heard about Barrett's and we got very scared by it because we thought Barrett's can occur with reflux and can turn into cancer. What's, how's that evolved? And it's particularly for these people who have a heartburn in primary care, do they need to be tested for Barrett's and how do you screen for that and what's the whole story? Yeah, so they, they, there are certain guidelines that suggest who should be uh, screened for Barrett's esophagus and it's very important to identify Barrett's esophagus because it helps us to follow a certain patient population that are at risk of uh, developing esophageal cancer. The risk is small, but it's there. And so the best way uh, to uh, make sure that we identify uh, patients at risk is obviously to do endoscopy. And the question is at what point we should do endoscopy or refer the patient to a gastroenterologist for uh, endoscopy. And I would say that based on the recommendations of many of the societal guidelines, uh, it's primarily patients that are uh, over 50, that are at a higher risk, with at least five years history of uh, symptoms. There are some, uh, uh, there are some people that uh, consider other risk factors like males being Caucasians, history of smoking and increased BMI or in increased uh, high uh, weight. So all of those put you at a risk and you should uh, have this uh, Endoscopy. I personally, because I see more and more women with Barrett's, uh, I do not use gender as a as a separating factor. Uh, if somebody is over fifty and they've had uh, uh, symptoms for uh, for a while, I scope them. I offer them an endoscopy. Just to be clarified, Barrett's is an abnormal type of cell that you could see on endoscopy in association with reflux disease. It's considered to be a complication of uh, gastroesophageal reflux disease. Right. Uh, Bonnie, that was fabulous. I'm, I'm at a loss for any other questions. <laughs> Is there any final words or anything you want to tell us that we think would be important? I, I just want to make sure that uh, one point is that we've made tremendous progress in understanding what constitutes heartburn. Uh, I, when I started my career a long time ago, uh, a heartburn was, uh, I remember that, uh, uh, that if uh, heartburn was equivalent to gastroesophageal reflux disease. And so we were constantly chasing that in patients. Now we understand 
Uh, that's not the case, that we have a significant number of patients that have heartburn and they don't have gastroesophageal reflux disease. So I think the understanding that we have disorders like reflux hypersensitivity, uh, functional heartburn that uh, account for a significant number of patients that present with heartburn, I think that's tremendous progress in the field because it allows us also to tailor uh, proper treatment to this patient population. Something that when I started my career, uh, that understanding was still not out there. Well, thank you for all your great thoughts. Uh, this was wonderful. Um, and we'll be hearing more of you through Rome 5 and your publications and lectures. Uh, Johanna, any final words? Yeah, that's talk? great. Yeah, thank you so much for making the distinctions between those conditions. If you have any questions for Dr. Fass, please let us know. We'll be happy to pass those along and get those answers for you as usual. Until next time, everyone, have a great day, a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gut Feelings, a Rome Foundation Drossman Care podcast series. Find more helpful tips, downloadable resources, videos, and more on our website at theromefoundation.org. Look under the resource tab for our patient Q&A videos, Gut Feelings blog, articles, and more. Have you purchased your copy of Gut Feelings Disorders of Gut-Brain Interaction and the Patient-Provider Relationship book yet? Be sure to find that on the Rome Foundation website and place your order or find us on Amazon as well. We look forward to seeing you next week for another episode of Gut Feelings. This has been your host, Johanna Ruddy.